First uh, Samuel chapter 8 is where you want to be. We're going to end our talk on Samuel, just even though there's tons more we could dig into. Uh, while you're turning there, I do want to say that the Faith 5 Day, I'll just do this real quick, uh, is the day we're asking you to pray uh, right now, actually asking you to select five people you'll pray for that you'll invite to come. And you'll say to them, look, this, you're, you're some of my favorite people, and I'd love to have you be there. Now, we're even doing it in the evening. Uh, in the morning, we're going to have an illustrated sermon. It's going to be a very, I think, powerful and incredible day. Uh, Sunday night, though, is the kickoff of men's fraternity and women's sorority. Uh, and I'll go ahead and give you a heads up on what that is. We're going to, starting September 14th, uh, we're going to take all the guys will be in here with me, and then the women are going to go up with Catherine, and we're going to do a, a, a series of studies that we're going to dig into that I know will be life-changing. And, and what it is, is it's about, we want men to be godly men. We want you to understand what that means. But if we're going to be the godly men we're supposed to be, we have to look at ourselves uh, through God's eyes and begin to see some things that might have to change or some pains that ha might have to be hurt or some things that could hold us back. And it's about how to rise up. And then the women are, are going to be going through the same thing together. And, and let me tell you how important I think this is. Uh, I really believe that the people who need it most are going to find some things starting to, to, to drive them out of it. There'll be these things coming up. And you're going to go, wait a minute. Why have all of a sudden am I being knocked out of this ability to dig into this? And, and so I want to encourage you, uh, all of the men, all the women, it's going to be an amazing time of study, life transforming. I've watched people find freedom like never before. I've watched uh, men rise up to whole new levels of, of God using them. And so it'd be a great time to bring a friend that night and, and say, come with me. And I know that, you know, some of us who are couples will separate but I have a feeling it's going to deepen our relationships because when we get back together, we're going to have so much more to talk about. And uh, so I want to encourage you to, to really pray about that and be a part of it September 14th. That starts. Um, one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard is uh, by Tony Campola. It really happened. Tony was sitting in church with his wife. And he uh, is kind of a frugal guy. But his plan was he had saved up enough money to buy a brand new car. And uh, the next day, he and his wife were going to go car shopping, and uh, he had this old clunker, and he had kind of waited on it, and, and he had saved up the down payment, and he knew how much monthly payment he could afford and feel comfortable with, and, and so they had prayed about it, and they were all ready. But he's sitting in church on a Sunday night in the church he goes to, and the mission, they have a special missionary speaker, and this guy gets up and starts talking about the needs that they're trying to take care of, things like we're, we're talking about in Kenya. And the guy's talking, and he's so impassioned, and Tony is sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take up a special offering for it. And he's sitting there, and he's praying, God, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to give. And, and being a, a man of God, he, he didn't just say, I'm going to give. He said, Lord, tell me how. And all of a sudden, a number came in his mind. He thought, no. And he looked over at his wife, and she looked at him, and she said, did you pray for a number? And he, and I, he said, I, I did. And she said, did you get a pretty big number. He said, I did. And she said, did you get the exact amount of our car payment, uh, down payment? He said, I did. <laughs> he goes, she goes, it's worse, honey. She goes, um, not only do I think we have to give the down payment, I think we have to give the monthly payment of that car. And he goes, what? And, and so what happened is they went ahead. They, they wrote out a check that night and handed it over the entire amount of the down payment. And then they got together and she said, I think we've got to do it. And he said, all right, we'll make a deal. This is what we're going to do. We're going to give the entire monthly payment we would have given for that car until my car breaks down. And then when that breaks down, we get to buy a brand new car. And she goes, that sounds like a great idea. And he thought, it's a great idea because my car's on its last leg anyway. 
And so what happened is uh, they gave all that money to the missionary. They were sending in a, a monthly amount to the amount of the car payment. And, and they were actually rejoicing in it. But the problem was this car that he thought might last six months all of a sudden has last four years. Uh, it, it just won't break down. He can't get it to break down. And, and I'm not kidding. It was like a clunker. And I mean, we're talking anything. If the tires go, if the battery goes out, he gets a new car. This is like the miracle car. It just won't stop. And uh, so then he was asked to speak at a, a pretty long distance away. And he walked outside uh, at, at that morning. And he looks down and the tires on his car are bald. And his wife said, honey, you can't drive that car. It's not safe. He said, oh, no, I'm driving that car. It's going to break down on this trip. One of those tires is going to go. And she goes, I don't think it's safe. He goes, I, I'll be okay, but I get my new car. And he actually loves supporting the missionary, but he, he was so excited about this. So what happened? He drives all the way, hours and hours away, pulls up to the church to speak, gets out. And as soon as he gets out, he hears a ksh and looks and the car goes down. And there's a flat tire. And he's like, yeah, I get my new car. And he's so excited. He goes in. And he's just pumped and excited. He said he probably preached one of the best messages ever. And he's just thinking, God, you know, I've been faithful. And you've rewarded the faithfulness. But now I get to get this. And the night's over. And people are telling him, oh, man, you are more on fire than ever. And he's all excited. And then he walks outside. And he sees this car has four brand new tires on it. And he's standing there going, No. And a guy walks up and said, I saw you had a flat, but your other tires didn't look good, so you know what? It's my gift to you. Those tires will last years. And uh, <laughs> the guy just felt led to do it. Have you ever felt like God has just kind of prompted you or led you to do something? And, and when you do, when you follow up on that, amazing things can occur. We see that Samuel's a man like that. Remember, Samuel's a guy that God, God starts prodding him and speaking to him, not only when he was a little boy, but later on. We saw last week that it says Samuel's words would not fall to the ground. And why? Because God and he were so intimately acquainted. And then we see a, a painful moment occur in his life in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And what happens in this chapter is the people look at his sons and they say, we cannot, you're, you're getting older. And Samuel, when you pass away, we can't have your sons take over. Uh, I don't know what happened. It, it just seems like his sons ended up like Eli's sons, and they're a mess. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. It says, His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain, and took bribes and perverted justice. Uh, look over at, at, at verse 5. It says, and It says, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the other nations. And Samuel's wounded. Uh, he's wounded by the fact that the people now are going to ask for a king. He's wounded by the fact that they want to be like all other nations. And, and he somehow has embraced this. This is his hurt. This is his pain. And the answer is he really cares for these people. By the way, I get intrigued. Intrigued by, and, and not in a positive way. I, I want to say that. I get intrigued by the fact that I have watched some incredibly godly parents not end up with godly kids. And by the way, I've seen some amazingly godly kids come from parents from hell. Haven't you? And, and, and you know what? I want you to think about it. Samuel here, his family's a mess. David's family will be a mess. David's the almost, one of the most godly men who ever lived. Moses was estranged from his family as best we can tell. And uh, the thing is, is Samuel, somehow, it just didn't work. 
And he is so hurt, he is so wounded, and he's like, you know, I just can't believe this. And the people are begging and asking for a king. In verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds, and they have done since the day that I brought them from the land of Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. He said, I want you to know, don't, don't take it personally, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're just not trusting in me. All they can see is your sons before them. They're not looking at me as the one who guides and the one who guards. They're not seeing that. And so God says, you know what? Go ahead and give them a king. But listen to this verse, Hosea chapter 13, verse 11. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. I can't remember who said it, but it was a pretty famous Christian that said this word. When God wants to curse men, very often he just answers their prayers. Think about that. The people are saying, ask God to give us a king. And God goes, you know what? If you don't want me loving you, you don't want me guiding you, you don't want me overseeing you, then you can have a king. But we need to know that God didn't do this in joy. God actually granted their request in anger. He did it. To curse them. And uh, this is going to be a horrible curse upon them. Even when David's a king, it's a horrible curse upon them. Because life without a king, and God, when God is the king, would have been far better. And God begins to warn them that it's not going to be good. God begins to tell them uh, that it won't be a positive thing. Uh, look what happens. It says in verse 10, So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. And he said to them, This will be the procedure for the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will also take the best of your field and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give all to his officers. And he will also take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and use them for work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Now notice verse 18. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, though, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Now notice why. That we may be like all the nations. And, and Samuel said, don't you realize what you're doing? You're, you're trying to be like everybody else. There's always danger when Christians try to be like everybody else. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, do you realize that the average church in the United States is not governed according to Scripture. It's governed according to democratic principles of this country. The, the congregations vote. They vote in officers, vote out officers. Uh, uh, is that in the Bible? Do you ever see a time where the Lord says, let's gather the people together for a vote? And, and yet the reason we gravitate to that is because we don't want to follow the pattern of Scripture. We want to follow the pattern of the United States. Now, I got to tell you, I want to be honest. I love this country, but, but I, I clearly know when the church is the church, it's got to be ruled by God. It's got to be under his control. It's got to be done in the way he sets up. And too often, we, we try to take the church and put it in the mold of the government of the United States. And while this is a great country, it is not a, a, the kind of country that's governed the way that God would want. 
Uh, the next thing we got to understand is that we as a people too often want to, to live like the world around us. We want to have the same things that they have. We want to have the same lifestyle they have. And, and God says, I don't want you to be pushed into their mold. You already know the verse, but listen to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. Now he says, you know why? Why do we do this? There's, there's lots of reasons beyond this one, but this is a huge one. Why do we say we're not going to be conformed into the image of the world? Why do we say that we want to serve the Lord with everything we have and be a living sacrifice to him? He says, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now here's why. Because when you and I live this way, as a living sacrifice to God, and we live with wholehearted commitment to Him, it proves the will of God is true. It proves the will of God works. It proves what is really, truly good. It, it proves what is the perfect lifestyle to live when we live it correctly. And God says, do you see what happens? You become a living testament and a living testimony and he says, but why would you ever want to be conformed into the image of the world? Don't let that happen to you. The stress, the depression, the materialism. Uh, uh, and you know, I got to be honest, I, I struggle with that. You know, I'm not so sure how often I look at my finances and see them live differently than the world. Especially in the past, to be honest, I lived like everybody else. You know, what I did is, is I would think, I want this particular thing. So how do, how do people who are not Christians, uh, they, they want to buy this particular thing? How do they do it? Well, they just go charge it. But what does a believer do? Does he go charge it? No, he prays about it. And he says, Lord, you know, either you, you need to provide this in my life, or I need to save up for it because the borrower is the slave of the lender. And, and you know what? The, the, think about this. If all of us lived that way, one thing that would happen is all of a sudden you'd find these things being given to you. Um, I really believe, and this is my opinion, you just wrestle through this. I believe that when we get to heaven, that God is going to reveal to you, oh, I was going to give you that car. I was going to give you that place to live. I, I was going to give you that vacation. I was going to give you. But you know what? You decided to charge it, so it's on you. And we just walk around going, oh, praise the Bank of America for what I, you know, don't you think, honestly, there's times that God was, ah, no, nah, don't give it to them. They're going to charge it. And, and, you know, I wonder how many answers to prayer we just don't get because we don't stop and pray first. And, and you know, we, we find that, that Christians divorce today at the same rate as the world. That's wrong. We find that, that Christians uh, have the same debt ratio as the world. That's wrong. Uh, we find that, you know, uh, we, we just tend to see that just happening in so many areas. And, and yet God says, this isn't what I want for you. And notice what these people said. Oh, we want a king so we can be enslaved and indebted and lose our rights and freedoms and have our children taken over and have to give up the best of what we have, just like all the nations around us. And God says, why do you want to be like them? And, and today we've got to fight that same thing off. And Samuel looked and said, Lord, it hurts. And the Lord says this. Don't miss this. He says, what they're doing is rejecting me. Whenever we choose to live like the world around us, even if we won't outwardly say it, the truth of the matter is we're rejecting God and his will and what he wants for us. There needs to be a radical difference between us and the way everybody else lives. And it really ought to be there. It really ought to be there. And so we shouldn't be enslaved to anger and bitterness and dysfunctionality. 
And, and God says, I don't want you to have that. And, and, and he, we don't want to reject it. And, but, but I think you got to, as we talk about Samuel, not miss how hurt he is. And, and he's heartbroken. So what happens is they begin to search for a king. So what kind of king do they search for? They search for the most handsome man in the land of Israel. They end up getting the tallest guy, too. Uh, people only came up to his shoulders. And uh, Saul was what everybody thought an, a king ought to be outwardly. Now, God is giving them Saul. But by the way, I want to point out something because we're not going to get into this in depth. God is going to give Saul every chance possible to be a great king. He really is. But the truth of the matter is, is, is this is a part of the curse that they get Saul as a king. Uh, he looks like the kind of king they want. He's going to begin to act like the kind of king they want. But the reality in the end is he'll be a curse in the land. He won't be positive. And so God begins to do something using Samuel so that Saul would be revealed as the king. Now what happens? Saul doesn't know he's going to be king. And, and he ends up losing some donkeys. And so he goes to, to hunt for the donkeys. And they hunt and they hunt and they hunt for them. And so what happens in chapter 9... <coughs> Is he says to the, the servant who's with him, he says, you know what, we can't find the donkeys. Why don't we just uh, give it up and go back because my father's going to be more worried about me than the donkeys now we've been gone so long. And the servant says, well, why don't we go to this particular town because there's a prophet there, and he means Samuel, and, and see what he can tell us. And so what happens is he's getting closer and closer and closer. It says this in verse 15. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord revealed this to Samuel saying. He, he says, he's, it says, before Sam, Saul even gets there, the Lord tells Samuel, there's this guy coming, and he's tall, and he's handsome. And he's the guy you're going to anoint as king, and I want you to prepare for him. And, and the point is this. He's never even shown up yet. He's never laid eyes on him. And, and Samuel is so in tune to the Lord that God just begins to speak and, and, and move in this way, and it's a pretty incredible way to move. Now, I want to be very careful that we don't go off on a tangent or off in a direction that isn't biblical. But I do want you to be aware that at times, God may speak to you and prepare you for something. God might, might all of a sudden, you're like, huh, I was just thinking about so-and-so. And the Lord's like, yeah, I want you to pray for him. And so you should pray for him. Uh, you might even be like sitting there and going, you know, I, I think that we need to get this ready in our life. I wonder that, where that came from. And the Lord says, well, it's from me. That God does give promptings. God does, you might have a dream about something and you're like, well, where did that come from? And the Lord is like, I, I gave that to you because I'm preparing you for something ahead of time. God does do today what he did in Samuel's life and our lives at times. But I think too often we just ignore it and shut it down. And what I'm trying to say is while we should test it and we don't want to go off on the deep end into kind of a, an extreme view. The truth of the matter is biblically God does this and Samuel is so in tune with the Lord even at this age. That the Lord says, you know what, tomorrow there's this very tall man coming. And I'm, that's the guy I want you to anoint as king. And, and, and he just goes, he's like he's so ready for this, for what's going to happen. Psalm 25, verse 14 says this. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will make known to them his covenant. Now why is that important? Because if you look back in chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. The word reveal there is literally, he uncovered his ear. He, 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 he whispered in his ear. He, he, he told him it's going to happen. The idea behind the word is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. This is that still small voice moment where this whisper, this prompting comes. And so what happens is Samuel now is going to tell Saul some things. Now if you go up to verse 19, it says, Samuel answered Saul and said, 
I am the seer, the one you're seeking. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is on your mind. Uh, The Lord has told me everything you're thinking and wondering about, and and I'm going to reveal that to you. Now, he immediately says, by the way, your donkeys have been found. Don't worry about it. And your father is worried about you like you think he is. And, and, and in that moment, he's like, wow. It's, and it's a very similar situation to me uh, when Jesus, a man comes and bows down before the Lord and says, would you heal my servant? Come, come and heal him. I know if you touch him, he'll be healed. And Jesus said, he's already healed. Go. And on the way back, he bumps into some people, and they say, he's healed. And he says, at what time was he healed? And they tell him the exact time that Jesus said it. And, and, and so what happens is you, you find God sometimes doing that in our life. And again, I want to caution. I think it's always worth giving the caution. But it, one of the cautions I'd say is, is don't be so far off in saying that God might sometimes whisper something in your ear or prod you or do something like that. And so what happens, though, is Samuel begins to give these amazing Uh, prophecies to tell him what's going to occur in his life in Saul. And he says, I want you to get ready for what's going to occur. I I want you to know that God has a lot to do in your life. And and I want you to start thinking about that. And then Saul ends up being chosen to be the king. Uh, Look over at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 3 to 5, and look what it says here. Samuel now is going to stand before Israel, and he says, you know what, I've a, a, the king's been appointed, this one you've wanted so badly. And in verse 3, he says, here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed, whose ox, I, whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or to whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it. I will restore it to you. He says, I want to know. Now that I'm giving you a king and I'm not going to be your leader any longer, I'm not going to be the judge who oversees you and you've chosen someone other than me. He says, is there anybody who can say that I've taken anything? Anybody who can say I've lied to you, stolen from you? Is there anybody who can say, well, Samuel took a bribe and then he ruled incorrectly? Is is there anyone who can say this to me? In verse 4 it says, they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and is anointed and is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is the witness to it. Now, what I want to grab hold of is Samuel was not only sensitive to God, Samuel was a man of great integrity. He's hurt and pained that now they don't want him to lead anymore. But he he says, okay, I'm going to obey the Lord and give you a king. But I want to know before I hand over the kingdom to him, is there anything that I've done wrong? Is there anything I need to restore? And, and they said, no. No, you know, there isn't. You, you have behaved with integrity. Uh, you know, all the time it seems like there are pastors that get exposed for things that aren't good. And I think one of the great gifts that God has given the United States is Billy Graham. Not one scandal ever. Not one time does anybody think that he is uh, pilfered or taken from the Billy Graham Foundation or any church or, or, or any of the crusades. And all of this goes back to a time when he and some friends got together in the city of Mazetdesto, and they were getting ready to lead a crusade. And they said, you know what, let's make a pact together. Let's make a pact that, number one, we're, we're going to handle our finances correctly. Let's make a pact that we're never going to put ourselves in a sexually uh, compromising position. Uh, let's make a pact that we're not going to be degrading to any church around us. 
And if someone's against us, we're not going to attack back at them. Let's make a pact that we're going we're gonna to live our lives with honor before God, whether our ministry grows or not. And they just felt this movement, this burden. And Billy Graham says in his autobiography that they just knew God was about to do something. And so they said, before that happens, let's make sure that we're clean and pure and cleansed. And let's make some, some clear, clear uh, agreements amongst the leadership that we're going to hold to some things of purity. And you know, it's so interesting because then the Modesto campaign happens and then they go down to Los Angeles and all of a sudden their ministry explodes and takes on a whole new meaning to the point that, you know, pretty much every sitting president is now has, has sought Billy Graham to sit with him and to pray for him and to talk to him. Uh, part of their pact was they would never be in a sexually compromising position. And so when Bill Clinton... President Clinton uh, uh, revealed that he had an affair. Before the news uh, uh, broke in, in a way that just became out of control, uh, the pain of it started to start reverberating, and uh, Hillary Clinton thought, who can I turn to? I mean, there's, I have so many enemies. Uh, is there anybody I could trust? And so she thought, there's only one man who I know is going to sit with me and talk with me in a way that can make a difference, and it was Billy Graham. And uh, so she contacted him and said, is there any way we can meet? And he said, yes, there is, come. And so she uh, arranged to go and meet with him. And then she said, can we meet? And she named a place to eat. And I, I just thought this was so cool. And Billy Graham said to her, he said, you know what, I, I just want you to know that, that I would never, ever be able to sit with a woman as attractive to, as you in a, in a lonely place. Uh, we're going to have to make sure that there's some safeguards put in there. My wife's going to have to be there, some other people. And later on, Hillary Clinton said, you know, the kindness of that and the, the niceness of it, and yet the guardedness of his purity, it just began to, to go deep into her. And she said later, one of the things that got me through, one of the most painful moments of my life was a man who cared that much but had such, such clear priorities. And, and Samuel was that kind of a man. He said, look at my life. I, I've been open before you. Never ever. And you know what I'd say was if we want to be a person like Samuel, we've got to have that kind of desire. Now today, just I'm not going to get back into it, but today I talked about the fact that I know that God wants to work in our lives. But I have really found a pattern of scripture that says that he wants us to pursue obedience and cleansing and then uh, uh, the movement of God comes. He wants us to do it out of a love for him and then the movement of God comes. And we need to be open to that and have that great desire. And, and that's what Samuel had. And then Samuel, look over at chapter 12, verse 17. I think this is very interesting. He, uh, he says, you're going to have a king, but he says, I want to do something. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, by asking for yourselves for a king. He says, this isn't the time of the year that it rains. It doesn't normally rain now. But I'm going to pray that God does this reign in this time so you can understand how wrong you've been and how God is angry with you. I don't want you to think this is okay. And in verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain on that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and they feared Samuel. Now, isn't that interesting? He said, Lord, I know it doesn't normally rain now, but I'm going to pray that it does. I'm going to pray that it, that it happens. I'm going to pray that this occurs. Uh, years ago, when I was a youth pastor here at Crossroads, uh, and I think Doug Hewson was on this trip, but I, I can't remember for sure. Uh, what happened is we went on a, a, a water ski trip up at the Sacramento River Delta. 
And uh, I remember I was so excited, and we had done that for years, and it was one of those moments that was incredible. So we've got our college age, and we're, we're taking this long bus ride. And the cool thing was, usually, like, even on the way up, people's faith grew because I drove the bus and scared them to death. And, uh, and by the way, back in the Crossroads bus itself was scary. Uh, but, but we end up getting up there, and, and I pull in, and it's Herman and Helen's Marina. And they came out, and they said, you know, Chuck, you've been such a, a great customer for a year. We're just going to give you the ski boats early. And no charge. Usually we would take the houseboats out. We would worship and do some things and come back and get the ski boats the next day. And they said, well, you know, we're just going to give them to you for free just to thank you. And, and man, as soon as I, 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 people were standing around and heard it, the word got out. Oh, my, we're going to get to ski today. We're not going to have to wait for tomorrow. And, and I didn't realize that it would be a problem. I, I didn't realize that what I thought in the moment was a blessing and a nice thing was going to turn into a bad one. So what happened is we get the, that we park the boats and all the, I hear arguing. Who gets to ski first? Who gets to go first? That, that had never happened before. Before, we would get there, we would all settle in, we would assign the jobs, we'd go up on the roof, we'd pray, we'd worship. But now I'm just skiing, skiing, skiing all over the place. And, and it just started going in the wrong direction. And, and so the next day, people were supposed to get up and do their quiet times, and usually the boats wouldn't be there yet. But now I've got people rushing through. They don't want to really pray and study. They're rushing on to get on the boats. And I thought, whoa, we're losing the point of this trip. And uh, so I, I'm just watching the whole day, and more fighting, more just, it's just like, this is not good. And uh, so what happened is, that night I got everyone together, and I said, man, I'm really disappointed in you guys. I said, the reason we do these trips is, uh, is to be together, and to study God's word, and to worship, and we're not doing it. And so I know that, you know, you're going to think this is pretty harsh, but since I'm the leader of this trip, I'm going to tell you, no one is skiing tomorrow. Until, uh, until we really think that you're ready. And I'm going to pray right now that, that God sends horrible weather so that you're not even tempted. And by the way, we always had great weather every year we were there. So I prayed for it, and, and I even asked for that. But no matter what, whether we had bad weather or not, I wasn't going to give up on them. Uh, they weren't going to ski. And there was some grumbling, but most people said, no, you're right, you know, we are getting off track, and I'm sorry. And then I go downstairs, and, and, and I'm just sitting there, because I, you know, I felt like I'd been pretty confronted, and I, I hear some singing on the roof, and I hear this people going, let's pray, and this worship service broke out, and I thought, oh, cool. But I'm still not letting them ski tomorrow. And uh, the next morning, we get up, and the boats are rocking, and, the, and, and it's this huge storm has come in. And I got up, and I said, God answered my prayer. I am so excited, and I really was. I believed it was an answer from the Lord. And man, people said, he, it is, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And, and you know, a lot of you would go, oh, no, no, no. But we really believed God had done something. And, and so God had sent that rain. God had sent that storm. God had sent that wind. And, and, and I'm all excited for it, you know. So now that early morning ski time is totally not even a temptation. And man, we had awesome talks and awesome studies. And then we got up on the roof, and it's about 2 in the afternoon. And I said, you know what, guys, man, I just really feel like you are, we're right back on track track and let's just ask God to give us a break you know if somehow God can change the weather and so we prayed about it and we prayed and all of a sudden I am not kidding it's like there was this eye that, and it stopped and if you've ever been the Sacramento River Delta the afternoon the water's never like glass we look out the water's like glass and I go oh my and they're all going whoa and I said uh, before we go any further I have to ask is anybody here not a believer in Christ because this is a good time to give an invitation and I did and everybody was stunned. And uh, I, I, I'm not kidding. That was just this amazing time where God just, just moved. Now, will God always change weather for people? I, I don't know, but I know God does at times. 
Uh, uh, you know, Watchman Nee talked about a time that he prayed for that thunderous rain to come, and a miraculous rain came. And, uh, you know, we need to know that, that, that times God does that. And God used Samuel, and Samuel stood and said, all right, before we go any further, I want you to know how wrong you are before the Lord, and I'm going to ask for him to send this powerful, powerful rain, and it comes, and it begins to move. Now, skip down to verse 23 and notice this, though, as Samuel begins to talk to them. Actually, verse 20. Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have committed all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. He goes, now you've just watched God send this amazing storm, but I'm telling you, don't fear God. Because the only reason he did this is he loves you and wants to get a message to you. So serve him, serve him. Verse 21 says, you must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things, things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, but as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Uh, he said, you know what I want to tell you, though? I promise you, I will never, ever stop praying for you. You have rejected me. You have uh, basically fired me. You have campaigned against me. And you know what I'm going to do? I promise you I'm going to pray for you. I, I would never not do that. By the way, that's one way that we as Christians are to stand out is that we need to just love people, period. Matthew 5, says this. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Samuel said, man, I, I love you and I'm going to pray for you and pray for you and pray for you. I, I wonder if David learned this from Samuel. Listen to what David said in Psalm 35, verses 11 to 16. He says, malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though they were my friend or brother. I bowed down mourning as one sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without ceasing like godless jesters at a feast. They gnashed their teeth. You know what David said? He said, you know, I want you to know that as for me, I will just keep praying for them. When they're sick, I'll try to provide for them. And it's, you know what, I know it's not going to change them. I don't, I don't see that changing, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Samuel did that too. He said, you know, okay, this is not working in a way I wish, but I'm going to pray for you. I would never stop. David says, you know what? The people who attacked me the worst, I prayed for them like of my own mom dying. I prayed for them with a whole heart. I, I cared about them. And he said, I, I treated them as if they were my dearest friend. Uh, I've been reading a book uh, on prayer, and um, it's a whole idea of using different prayer disciplines. And I got to tell you, I, I, I started reading the book and I thought, Lord, I love this book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and do this. About midway in, I thought, you know what? I love this book so much. I'm going to go back once I'm done reading it. Uh, it's by uh, Richard Foster. It's called Prayer. And then I, it's 21 different ways to pray. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to put that into my routine. And I'm going to go through all 21 of them. And then I got to this chapter and I'm like, oh, no. I can't believe I committed to do that. And here's why. Because one of the 
one of the, the routines of prayer is this. It's a, actually, he considers it a spiritual discipline, a way to make yourself more in tune with the Lord, to strengthen your spiritual life. And this particular discipline comes from St. Teresa of Avia. And St. Teresa had a spiritual discipline where she believed that God and his love for us would bring people into our life who are torments to be around and that you would turn and start loving and caring for them like you're their best friend. It's a spiritual discipline you do. And I committed to do it. And that means that, you know what, is, is when that person's brought in my life, now I've got to go out and love them extra. I've got to seek to spend more time with them. I've got to seek to encourage them. And I thought, I can't believe I committed. I, don't ever commit to that until you've read the whole books, what I would say. And, uh, <laughs> but there's this story about her. Now, this is, I don't know how it came out. I don't know how they got the facts of it. But what happened is there was this one particular sister that she was always in proximity of that just drove Teresa crazy. And she believed, okay, Lord, this person's in my life and they drive me nuts. Now I get to tune into them. Now I get to love them like my best friend. Now I get to show them grace and attention. Now I get to upbuild them. And, and according to what I read is till the day she died, this lady drove Teresa nuts. But at her funeral, this lady got up and said, she was my dearest friend. She had no idea how Teresa really felt. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but you know how she really felt? You might say, well, she faked it. No. She chose to love unconditionally. She chose to put aside her feelings. She chose to see the value in somebody else. She chose to, to say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to come after you and deny myself and follow you and treat them like you would treat them. Now, here's the point. You know what? Have you ever thought that one of the greatest things God ever does, even to a Samuel, is he puts you in situations like this so you could respond with love and respond with prayer and respond with care? You know, some of you tonight, you know what you ought to do? You ought to say, God, thank you so much for, and you can name that person that drives you crazy. And how can I go love them better? How can I go care for them more? How can I go show them value? And get ready for this. According to David, he said, I did that, and they never changed but that's okay, because I'd do it again. I'd love them again. I'd care for them again. And, and, and that's the kind of man that Samuel is. So when Samuel's life ends, everybody mourns. I mean, they said, this guy stood out. This guy lived a different life. And, uh, you know, you and I have an opportunity to really start finding the way that God worked in Samuel's life, working in our life. And what we need to do is we need to be sensitive to his call and his prodding and his promptings. We need to be the kind of person that when life disappoints us and people disappoints us, that we, we seek to do what's right, but we also seek to pray and love no matter what, because that's the kind of man Samuel was. And I don't know what God has for you or me, but I do know this, is that there are times that God's going to use each of those things in our life. Maybe the positive of tonight is I'm telling you there are times that God's going to speak to you. He's going to prompt you. He's going to direct you, and you're going to go step back and go, that was the Lord. And there are other times that God is going to bring people into your life and you're going to go, oh man, they drive me crazy. Lord, why are they in my life? And God goes, because I love you. It's my gift to you. Now, by the way, you need to understand that just like they drive you nuts, you and I probably drive other people nuts, okay? So, uh, you know, God might say you're their gift to them too. And, uh, you know, I think that that's what God did with uh, poor Pam. He gave her me, you know, it's a beauty and the beast kind of thing. But, you know, the reality is, is God says, I, I, want, it, I want this all to work and I'm going to use it in that way. And, and if you haven't grabbed it, the amazing story of Samuel is a guy who really had this personal relationship with the Lord. 
that's real. And he wants that for you and he wants it for me. Tonight, I, I want to ask you to think about this. How close are you to God? Are you someone who, number one, says, man, I know the Lord. I really genuinely know him. I may not know him as well as I'm going to, but I have this relationship with him. Uh, how about this, number two? This is a more important one to ask at this moment. Are you someone who says, I am so sold out for Jesus, I want to do whatever he wants me to do. So that means that the Lord wants me to pray, so I'll pray. The Lord wants me to minister, so I'll minister. Now, probably I'll go, well, that's awesome. How about this? The Lord wants me to love my enemies, so I'm going to love my enemies. The Lord wants me to pray for my enemies, so I'm going to pray for my enemies. The Lord wants me, when I get struck on the right cheek, to turn the left. And he wants me to repay evil with good. And I'm going to do that. I, you know what is, is that to me, is, is if we get honest about it, that's difficult. But what happens is Christ-likeness, graciousness, uh, a molding occurs in our life that's just beyond un unbelief. And, and I never thought about it as a spiritual discipline before, but now I'm so intrigued with it. It's like, wow. Now, I got some kind of interesting news in this. I can't think of anybody right now that drives me crazy. But I think that now that I'm kind of getting in tune with this, God will bring them along. They'll come. And when they do, I'm going to look at them and say, God, thank you. And uh, I, if I am the have a calling to love that way, I'm going to. And uh, the reason is, is because I need that. I, I need to be changed. I, I need him to work in me. I need him to mold me. And I would like to be a lot like a Samuel or David. But even more, I'd rather be like Jesus. And I'm not going to get there unless I have some rejection in my life and things like that happen, like all of us. So the thing I guess I'm asking is, can you say tonight, I, you, God, whatever you want to do, I want that. And, and I want it to occur. And so if it's a prompting and a direction, I'll just take it. If it's a, a dealing with things the way Jesus would, I'll do it. But I'm just sold out. And tonight I want to ask you to really consider praying that prayer, saying, God, whatever, whatever it takes, I'll do. And then in the midst of it, if you are not in a connected relationship with God, I want to lead a prayer where you can do that. Where you can either come to know the Lord for the first time and commit your life to Him, or whether you can recommit. And if you feel God stirring you to do it, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me. Let's pray. Father, I know that our lives are lives to be lived experiencing you in ways that are beyond us. And we don't look, Lord, for signs and wonders. We look for you. But God, I do know there are times you tell us things ahead of time. You speak secrets into our ear. You uncover our ear and whisper. And Lord, I pray that we would be so ready and so willing to follow you. And I pray, whatever that is, that we would first of all test it. But when we see it's you, we would just wholeheartedly be sold out to it. And God, I pray that we would love in a way that says that we pray for people, we care for people, we love people, period. And Lord, when, when there's times in our life where it's not easy to love, I pray we would discover the amazing strength and power of unconditional love. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are here tonight that know you. May we just continue to want to grow closer to you, but also we'd want to be changed. And I pray you'd keep changing us. So for me, I ask this, Lord. Whatever you want to do, I trust you. And I don't want to miss it. And I pray for others here tonight that can say the same thing to you. That we're in this together and say, Lord, whatever you want to do.
We just trust you. We don't want to miss it. So help us. And may we look and see your hand and your voice and your guidance. Lord, I want to ask right now, if there's someone here who needs to come to you for the first time, I pray, oh Lord God, that you would touch them and stir in their hearts. I pray right where they're sitting, they would know you're real. And I pray, God, that they right now would know that this is the night, this is their time, this is their moment to open up to you and let let you love them. And I pray, God, if there's someone here who's, they know you, but they, they aren't close to you, something's happened, they used to have this relationship with you. Maybe somebody hurt them, and they didn't see that person hurting them as an opportunity to show love, and it's hurt so badly and wounded so badly that they, they are repelled and they moved away. God, tonight, may they recommit themselves to you and let you heal the hurt and the pain and take something that was the ugly and bad and turn it to beauty and, and now learn, Lord, what it's like to respond the way Jesus did and, and, and even pray for the forgiveness of the other person. But I pray tonight they would come to you. And they would grow close to you. I pray for the person tonight who at one time said they used to have these moments and times and it just seems so long. And God, they need to be warmed inside spiritually. So may, Lord, people come to you for the first time and may people recommit. May you stir up on them. I ask your spirit now to do that. I want to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to commit their life to the Lord? But I'm going to lead a prayer where you can say to God, I want to give my life to you completely or I want to recommit my life to you. And tonight, if you would pray that prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to pray it and whisper it right where you're sitting. But I'd like to know if God is calling anybody tonight to commit their life to him. And if he's really touching you to do it, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you let me know you're going to pray with me by lifting your hand in the air, and then after that, you can put it down. Is God stirring or touching anyone tonight? And this is your moment that you want to just say to him, I want to do this. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to commit my life. Just raise your hand for, oh, praise God for you over here. Praise the Lord. That is so awesome. Praise God for you back there. Praise the Lord. That is really incredible for both of you. The reason I'm asking you to lift your hand is it does help me to know who God's calling. Let me take a second more. Anyone else, this is your time and you're ready to do this. Just lift your hand in the air where I can see you. Okay, all of you who God's touched, let's just whisper this prayer together. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus. I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross for me, and you died for my sins. And I pray, Lord, you'd forgive me and heal me and make me new inside. I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you have created me to be. And help me live the life that you have for me to live. And draw me close to you now. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for those of you who prayed that prayer tonight. Wow, praise the Lord. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's not meant to embarrass you. It's We want to celebrate with you. But there's some reasons I'm going to ask you to do this. But let me tell you what it is. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer, when we stand and sing, I'm going to ask that you make your way to an aisle and come down here and let me meet you for a second.
then we want you to go in the side room over here and we want to give you some materials to help you grow in the Lord. And even if you already think you know what to do, we want to make sure you've got this plan and direction and we want to know who you are so we can have somebody pray for you every day this week and actually more than one person and really pray over you your whole week this week of commitment. But let me tell you another reason why I'm going to ask you to come. And it really is true. In the Bible, whenever anybody had a private encounter with God, they would always go share it publicly. And, and something happens when you just pray a prayer like that. And then you step out and you come and you, you let us see. But more than that, you're just saying to God, I really want this change. I want to be different. And, and something stirs inside. So tonight, if you prayed that prayer, when we stand to sing, I'm going to ask that you come. If you want to grab someone to say, I pray the prayer, come with me. Feel free to do that. But more than anything, please come. Also tonight, if you want to be baptized into Jesus Christ by your choice in a conscious worship experience with Him, I also want to ask you to come so we can arrange a time for you to do that. But let's stand together. If you pray that prayer, if you want to be baptized, please come.